All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in for another episode of the Patient Convert podcast. Today, you got your co-host, Justin Knott, and I'm really excited about who we got joining us today. We have Ted Chan, actually, from CareDash. And if you're a physician provider or healthcare marketer out there, I'm sure you've seen their kind of meteoric growth over the last couple of years is now one of the largest physician provider directories that's online. So Ted, thank you for joining us today. And why don't you take a couple minutes to kind of introduce yourself and kind of tell us a little bit more about kind of CareDash so they have an idea of who they're listening to today. Yeah, thanks, Justin. It's great to be on. Uh, so CareDash is a patient review website and physician directory. Last month, uh, before all the coronavirus uh, mayhem, we had over 2 million patients a month searching for care wow, all amazing. in the U.S. Um, so we started the company in 2015. Uh, the original genesis uh, came because I have a loved one that has some chronic health issues. I think is, at this point, really validated through the experience of building the company. Uh, a lot of the review sites don't care about stopping fake reviews. Yep. Um, so both review spam, meaning physicians sending multiple uh, hundreds sometimes of five-star reviews or reputation attacks, unhappy patients or not patients um, sending hundreds of one-star attacks. I think actually if you scrutinize the review sites that existed two or three years ago and were indexing top five in Google, you would have seen that they, they really didn't care. You know, and that I think impacts the the patient physician trust dynamic. Uh, since these are, you know, they think eighty percent of patients are googling their doctor, and having bad information out there uh, impacts that dynamic. So the original idea was we would use artificial intelligence and machine learning tools to weed out fake reviews, and overlay interesting data sets uh, to make the healthcare experience more transparent um, to make our site most useful. So we started the company in 2015, we launched in 2016, and for two years we had no traffic. So imagine going to your board. <laughs> um, in 17, we had less than 10,000 people, on this, I think for the whole year on the site. Um, so, but in 2018, the, I think we, the, we were getting more reviews, some of our value added features were coming online, and. Since then, it's, it really, I think you used the word meteoric, Justin. I, it, it really has been meteoric growth. Um, last February, 30 days, we, we had 2 million patients on the site. Yeah, that's amazing. And it really has. I mean, from the, and that's why I said when I introduced, I mean, all healthcare marketers should be really familiar because when it comes down to kind of, y'all have really become part of the narrative when it comes to claiming physician provider listings you've got to know that you made it for sure when as a healthcare marketer, you've kind of become part of the non-negotiable conversation when it comes to claiming provider listings is obviously you've got health grades and vitals who have been aware around for a while and some of these other large physician directory listings, but CareDash has really become a household name and the aspect of if you want to get visibility for your providers and you want to make sure that you're getting as much domain authority pumped back to the website, that you've got to be claiming their CareDash directory, which has got to be just huge for y'all now that you've made it there. Um, and I, I think a follow-up for that is you alluded to it really quickly. We find, I know as, a, as somebody who offers review generation as a service, there's a lot of trepidation and fear when it comes to growing reviews 
from a provider standpoint and doing it, we're talking obviously outside of COVID because that's been shut down for Google My Business right now. But just in general, can you talk to the importance of building reviews? Because obviously, unfortunately, there's potentials for patients not understanding their insurance and getting a bill and outlash and lashing out providers. But I just find it so critical, but a lot of providers just want to look the other way and just ignore reviews, but they play such an important role now in search as well as research when it comes to patients. Talk a little bit about why they need to be focusing on growing their reviews as a provider. Yeah, I, I think the way I look at it is CareDash and the other review sites are part of the patient journey on the web. Um, so everyone's Googling their doctor or practice. Um, and the behavior that we really see, we get a web panel so we can see how some of our, how some of the users that arrive on our site are, are getting there. So what we see is um, the patient searcher is putting in right, the, the query, the practice, the doctor name, and their uh, aura or um, sort of a structured uh, search query like top primary care physician in Corpus Christi. And they're literally looking at every page with reviews. You know, in the, Google's kind of the UI. They, they're going back, hitting back after they look at the page or, you know, looking at a few pages on the site and uh, building, a, building a mental model and deciding whether this is the provider uh, they want to book an appointment with, uh, to keep, um, you know, so, um, the engagement, um, you know, so we get, in a month where we get about 2 million folks on the site, uh, we'll, we'll send out over a hundred thousand clicks and calls to, to wow. physician websites or, yeah. or phone numbers. Look to get discovered on a site like CareDash or any other directory, uh, I think one of the first things folks are looking for is reviews. Um, our, our sort is based on uh, strong reviews and strong biographies and headshots. You know, reviews are a starting point, but having strong bios helps a patient or prospective customer get a more profound sense of who the physician is, what their expertise is. And I, I think that's, that's really important in that process to have those profiles completed. Are you, you're, you're completely missing out, right? CareDash profile is free, so um, no excuse not to to have it yeah, filled uh, out and claim, you know, or or to have your you know pay your agency a a, a a very fair price to have it optimized, right? Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. What have you seen? Because I know the obviously the marketer and the the marketing analytics side of me is really curious, but I think it could even lend from a curiosity standpoint, as far as what providers need to be focused on from a search optimization standpoint, what have y'all seen from the backend search query as COVID has grown um, over the last couple of weeks? Have you seen any interesting analytical search trends, uh, either how people are finding the site or once they're on the site, what they're searching for uh, as comparative to maybe historically, say, going back to 2019, have you seen anything interesting in that data? Yeah, I think the two the two biggest um, queries that we're seeing way more of uh, are telehealth and emergency. Yep. So telehealth makes sense. A lot of folks are trying to avoid going to these practices where you know they they at least believe there's lots of germs and <laughs> lots of uh, or 
less social distancing, right? Because folks are in and out. So for us, we've actually seen an overall drop off in traffic because we get so many of the queries that are right before, right after appointments for doctor names and practices. So right now, since uh, people aren't doing that sort of um, normal routine care, those queries aren't happening at nearly the same volume. Um, so we're see, we've seen a huge lift in telehealth, and then emergency is is an area uh, that's way up. So the you know big one we're seeing is emergency dental. So I wish we were a little bit actually a little bit stronger there, um, but we set up you know sort of uh, some ways to to get people to to places where they can get emergency dental. Actually, one eight hundred dentist has in this context been great because you know they have a large network and they can match you with insurance uh and they you know at least seem to get some pings as to who's who's open and who's treating patients and who's not interesting uh, and then the one the one other one i'll mention is uh I, I think the saddest one i see and the one that worries me the most is queries around loneliness yep uh, so we're i mean we're up on teletherapy search, which so I was going to ask is the mental health space, I would imagine has grown because I know even on a client level for us, that's been one of the easiest transition from a B2C marketing standpoint is now without geographical borders, psychiatrists and mental health therapists can see people really all across the country. So you've seen that area grow a lot? That area has, has grown a lot. Uh, and we we index really high, so we we typically index in the top five for for therapy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, that that's one place where the trend is crystal clear of people looking for mental health. And I think it's not it's not just loneliness. I think um, it's a stress right. It's just a stressful time for a lot of people. So oh, yeah, family strife, marital marital issues. Depression, right? I think uh, you know we'll unfortunately see some of the bad things that happen with with economic slowdowns, right? Um, drug abuse and alcohol. Um, so I think I mean, mental health is going to be a, an area where we're going to need access to care. Um, you know, near term, mid term, and probably long term. I, I couldn't agree more. Are y'all leveraging, I'm curious, just kind of from, from the CareDash-facing perspective, obviously getting um, users on the platform outside of, as you alluded to, strong organic search as it relates to other directories. Do y'all do anything in the way of like Google advertising or social advertising? Say you do notice a large trend for mental health. Do y'all invest into those spaces from an advertising standpoint to help reach more patients and then obviously ultimately get more providers in front of more patients? We do. We, um, we as a scrappy, really a scrappy startup that had no organic search, we had to, we had to start somewhere. Oh yeah. Um, so we, you know, in order to build up our initial user base, our review base, we, we've been buying, I'd say we, we buy, we do mostly Google and Bing. Yep. Okay, so search based Facebook. Um, so we've been buying we've been buying a fair amount of traffic for for a while. Mm-hmm. I think given you know we've we've stayed between between ten and twenty percent of our traffic being paid. Yep. You know, obviously, you like to buy paid traffic where <laughs> where your monetization is a little bit better. We we have good partners, uh, kind of in in the spaces where in primary care, women's health, 
mm -hmm. uh, therapy and dental. So those are those are places where we can do a little bit more. Yeah. Oh, and we're not top of the, you know, we're not the top bidder for any, for anything, I think. Um, but um, it is an important part of how we bring people to the site. And the, the intent is very high on those on those. Certain. I would imagine. Have you seen, there's been so much talk. I, I saw some some of the larger digital marketing strategists that people read online. Obviously, there's been tons of talk about how cheap a lot of search-based ad stuff has gotten. Have you seen being specifically in medical and healthcare, even if you look at SEO is down kind of across the whole board, except for restaurant and health? Have you seen anything from an ads perspective? Has it remained relatively the same from say, in general cost per click or what you're spending? Or have you seen things become um, more opportunistic and cheaper? What have you seen from a trends perspective in the health space? versus what we're seeing potentially in other spaces? Well, it's, I'd say it's, it's wild times. Um, so we have, um, you know, therapy doing, you know, especially on the teletherapy side doing quite well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but across other areas, uh, we have seen almost uh, a complete termination of the discussions. And, wow. That's um, amazing. You know, uh, and we, we've tried to be, uh, respectful right so we, we've had a had a dentist right a, an older dermatologist um, they're not gonna um, you know pretty long-term clients of ours uh, suspend their advertising with us mm -hmm. their sponsor yes. listing um, they're not open right they're not good and they're not going to do tele yeah um, so we've tried to be respectful of that we haven't seen a huge drop in we have a dis, you know display media. We haven't seen a big drop in display media, which I thought you know I thought there would be. That seems at least that CPM seems to be holding stable for now. Um, I think pharma, you know, is still a big buyer of that and hasn't necessarily changed their commitment to spending. Yeah, yeah, yep. I could see that. Yeah. And uh, what would you? Because you just alluded to that. Obviously, y'all are having a lot of frontline conversation with specialties that either are struggling to keep their doors open or struggling to get uh, in, integrated into telemedicine and keep their virtual doors open. What would you say, whether it's on platform or even off and the conversations that you're having would be one or two of the biggest pieces of advice for practices kind of struggling to stay relevant right now to, to be focused on? Is it SEO? Um, is it leveraging visibility on platforms like yourself? What have you seen based on the conversations that you think would be for the listener out there that maybe, well, we just shut our doors down and I don't know how to get them back open. You think be the biggest things to focus on right now? Well, let me, I, I think I, I do talk to a lot of folks in the space about it. And I, I think the big thing is to keep, I, I don't know of anybody that's, that's done, right? Yep. <laughs> that's going to shut the practice down and, and walk away from this and never, right, never open back up. So I, I, I think there still is a, you still have to take at least a mid or long-term view. Mm -hmm. um, I agree. I totally agree. You know, I think the big, I, I can never help but think about it is you, you want to do the work and set up a big inbound funnel. Mm -hmm. yep. um, and I think you get the big, highest ROI from that, right? So I've always been right, really big on, SEO on optimizing directories, you know, the directories that bring traffic, right? Who cares about the whatever the 4,000th one? And yeah, right? yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, that, that you get swallowed in a mess of, 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 of waste, a huge waste of time if you do that too. 
yeah, you know, you could use you could use Sweet IQ or something, right? Or, or your you know, your agency can can get those for you. Yep. Um, you know, for SEO, for SEO purposes, they I think they do matter a little bit. But I, I think right, the big thing I want to say is telehealth is a really big shift, mm-hmm. um, and it's a totally new competitive paradigm. Look, there are things like dental that are always going to be local, um, but in there's going to be other specialties where you could compete against patients from everywhere. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, national, whether it's statewide or, 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 or nationally. Right. I think there's a lot of potential gain to that right? or benefits to that. Right. You can work with the pay. You don't have critical, you know, if you're an expert in something and those are the cases you want to work on, you probably don't have critical mass locally to do that. Right. Yep. But you do, you do nationally. Or, or, or potentially statewide. So I, I think it's an opportunity to be more focused, right? Work in higher margin areas uh, to build a, right, a, a better, you know, depending on what, whether you like to see patients face-to-face or have a little flexibility, right? Build something that you know, is, a, is more of a fit to, as a practitioner what you want to do, right? You know, I think the flip side of that is it means that um, big brands that carry uh, authority and expertise with them, like say a Mayo Clinic or a Cleveland Clinic, or a, a strong, strongly branded um, local right uh, system, mm-hmm. can present itself anywhere and compete against you. Right? Oh, yeah. um, but, but in this world, you know, you, you want to be the expert. You want to be. You want to have authority on specific topics that people are looking for and whether that's word of mouth through directories through through search you want your your brand your marketing to present that expertise in a world where right competition is just you can have a a health system in cleveland competing against you for the same patient right oh for sure and that's that's what's been really interesting we actually have been working with a provider that has an, he's an OBGYN and he's got an OBGYN based blog, a personal blog where it's him talking about a lot of it, kind of answering a lot of those one-on-one questions. Cause right now there's still even a lot, if you do a search probably in your geographical location that you're listening from, I bet you 80% of the OBGYNs in your area, you'll have a difficult time finding out if they are seeing telemedicine patients, how to book, what if you do have questions or you just found out you're pregnant. Like- those kind of things. And he's answering those questions on his blog and, and he, we're seeing a massive spike and it's a lot of just simple stuff that you forget because you do nor in a normal circumstance get to just walk into your OBGYN and ask all of those low level questions. And now it's very difficult to get them on the phone or obviously get into the office. And so if you see an opportunity there as a provider to, to, to get into storytelling and to get into thought leadership, there's a huge opportunity right now to answer what seem like simple, stupid questions, but they could create okay. massive amounts of, of trust, equity, especially when we come out of this down the road. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I mean, my, I, and I think this whole telehealth piece, it, it really is an opportunity to transform, uh, what a physician is working on. Mm-hmm. I, can, um, I agree. And who, and who they see. You know, I, I think if you have a broader base, you can pick and choose your patients more. 
And I, I think that's the number one thing. Like we, we always ask, you know, what, what, what patients do you want to see? Right. And if you're right, if you're a, if you're a doctor that's never going to prescribe opioids, right. <laughs> there's a very specific type of pain patient that you would never want to see. Right. Yep, exactly. Communicate that, right. Build, use, use access to a larger patient pool statewide nationwide to build the practice and the and the patient base that you want to build that fits the expertise that you have yep I, I couldn't agree more and and going back to what I was talking about too is like Facebook groups and there's like there's just so many areas that just people are dying for information and if you can figure out the patients you want to see and how you can serve them even online I think there's a huge huge opportunity right now I mean we were talking to an ENT the other day. And I just think providers, especially in the surgical specialty space, just have to be willing to think outside of the box on what they do and how they can use their medical degree to continue to provide value to patients because it may not be in the, in the OR at the moment, but maybe you're an ENT and you do sleep medicine. Can you find at-home sleep tests that can be drop shipped? So then you can see patients if they're symptomatic. I mean, it's just, it's, it's finding creative ways, I think, that if you can do things like that, then immediately your world gets a lot larger because you don't have geographical marketing boundaries anymore. So you can go after markets that are cheaper or markets that people aren't advertising in and, and get really creative. That's the big thing we've been teach, preaching to our, pay, or our practices and our clients is you've got to be willing to be creative and think outside of the box and and figure out what's profitable, but at the same time, figure out ways that you can continue to provide comfort and value to your patients. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's an amazing way to think about it. You know, and I think this next, you know, these next three months to, you know, two years, it's a new paradigm. So people are going to be looking for healthcare in a completely different way. Oh, yeah. I couldn't um, so you're going to see, you're going to see a lot more. I don't know what the right term for it is patient liquidity, right? <laughs> um, because a lot of, uh, I mean, uh, I've gone to the same dentist for 15 years. I've gone to the same right, primary care physician for 15 years. So, you know, I, I'm, I really, for the first time, this is the first time I'm even looking at things like tele-urgent care, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Tele-primary care. Cause I, I realized, you know, I, I never really myself, right. I spent my, all day in the middle of this, I had never thought about having a virtual primary care physician. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I'm looking at Steady MD or you know what, one of these virtual concierge practices. And what you just said is interesting too to me because I think over the next six months, one year, two years, as the patient dust settles, so to speak, and people become much more comfortable with what you just alluded to then it's marketing. It's how easy is it to onboard and, and, and become a patient of that practice? What is the UX UI experience? What is the value they're providing to you? It becomes all of those branding and packaging and price transparency and ease of use with their platform. It's all those things you need to be focusing on because even if it like is at-home sleep medicine tests, well, are you going to be better, better packaged and better ease of use for the patient to interface with than the other guy that may be on the other side of the country. It's like, what exactly. would you look for, Ted, like you've just mentioned, like I've never thought about having a virtual primary care. Well, then how are you going to make the decision between 
one that you find online and another one you find online. And that's what people need to be thinking about. You know, I, I was just thinking about it because I'm, I'm up, um, you know, to, and my primary care physician actually moved. So I've got to find another one and I actually have to like at least declare one. Yep. Um, and I was looking like, so do I want like a, you know, I, I could just go on the directory. I pick a random one and I, I never actually really see them anyhow. Right. You know, both because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty healthy and whenever I go there, they just have a nurse practitioner there anyhow. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, when do you see an MD at a primary care practice anyways? Um, and then, I'm, you know, I'm looking at like the telehealth options on CareDash. Right? And, you know, these guys, like there's like SteadyMD and MDVIP and some of these concierge tracks. And I'm looking at this, like, you know, this guy's like CrossFit champion, right? Yep. <laughs> um, yep. Tilts towards functional and sports medicine and, you know, training, you know, we're just, we're just, and I were talking earlier, we're both athletes, right? So we retain our weekend warrior status or college athletes. Um, you know, like, this is awesome. Like I want, I want this. And maybe my primary care physician here in Boston is a, is a badass CrossFit athlete, but he hasn't told me. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, certainly, people. certainly my, the, you know, the large, right. Regional health system practice isn't, isn't putting that in his bio, I, I don't think, right? They might say like hobby biking or something. But these things matter, right? This is about making a personal connection. Exactly. Ah, oh, man, I love that. I mean, the art of storytelling, that's why it's so important for providers to be engaged in this process is patients want to know the value you can provide to them. And, and I think they're and as raw and authentic as you can be, the better. Like you said, like I wouldn't know if that guy was or wasn't. And in this virtual landscape, those can be big differentiators is how well without ever seeing them, you can get to know a provider and what they're all about. I mean, we, we, we show people like, I have a, I have a slide. It's patient, patient marketing conference, right? We should show a good, a good patient profile on CareDash, right? One that converts well, uh, and, you know, people land on it and they're likely to, to, to call or make an appointment. We see a bad one, show a bad one. Um, and it's like night and day, right? You're like, well, talk to me about what that good one looks like. What jumps out at you inside of there? Obviously, we don't have the slides in front of us, but when you're looking at it visually really quick, what jumps out at you usually? Uh, I mean, I think it's the personal, the level to which a doctor communicates their expertise in a personal way that meets the needs of the patient that they actually want to bring into their practice. When I started building the site, I, I had a really one-size-fits-all of what an ideal patient experience looked like. Mm -hmm. But patients want to know what differentiates your practice to them. Yep. Some patients, look, they, imagine you're a shift worker with limited transportation and childcare, and you're paid hourly, and you have a boss that's not real, really understanding. You might just, the, the most important things to you might be price, courtesy, and timeliness. Yep. Um, yeah, it's very true. I know doctors especially hate to hear this, right? But it's a service business. <laughs> um, the, it is. That's by manner and wait times and all that right. stuff matters to people. And if so if you are the world expert in some topic, right? And patients wait months to see you. And then once they wait, once they get to you for, you know, you're gonna, they're going to wait two hours in the, in the waiting room. That's okay. Just say it, right? Yep. 
just right. I have, I am the world's best like rheumatologist for people who have right severe elbow pain. That's a thing, right? Look, it's very you know I can be busy, <laughs> you know, but I'll but you know you I could guarantee you this this expertise. Yep. Yeah, um, I think that's a great point. Just provide an authentic view of the right, whether it's physician, dentist, therapist, right, map it to to real patients' needs. And those are the patients you're gonna, they're gonna resonate. And the reviews are just gonna corroborate that position, right? I totally agree. And I, I think what we've seen too with our providers, and I think there's still a hesitancy to go out and kind of share your knowledge. It's like, well, I'm too niche specific, or are there really people that are reading on this topic that I am most passionate about? And I think you would be, if you're willing to invest in it, absolutely shocked. Like they say that there's a Facebook group for everything. There really are people whose lives have been touched by whatever specialty it is you do. And like we have a provider that just focuses on he's infectious disease. So it's like, well, who's reading an infectious disease blog? Well, he's talking about autoimmune diseases and chronic sinusitis. And you would be amazed how personal it is to people who are dealing with CVID that there's actually a doctor out there talking about case studies and and making them feel like their voice is being heard. And that creates a really, really strong emotional and trust connection with a provider that they don't even know. And it, there's, there really is, there's a voice for everyone. There's, there's, there's topics that patients are interested in all the way across the board. Yeah, exactly. Perfect example. Yeah. And that's why we just had like, just, you've got to get out there. And if you're willing to talk, you're willing to take the time to invest in providing some of your expertise, you're going to get it back tenfold over time. Obviously there's some marketing components involved, but you'd be surprised if you're willing to invest in it the right way, no matter what specialty or what surgical focus you are, that there's patients that are out there that especially more than ever, as you know, with the rise of websites like CareDash that were maybe even so foreign 10 or 15 years ago, patients are their own health ambassadors now. So they want to research, they want to find their own health journey, they want people that are invested in finding the root of the problem. And so that it creates a big opportunity, I think, for providers to take advantage of that. Exactly. So I've got, uh, this wasn't in, I sent over a couple questions before. This would be a little bit of a curveball, but I wanted it to um, oh, no, curveballs are great. <laughs> as possible is what is, whether it's been influenced by COVID or not, and, and maybe you did have one or not, I'd be curious, what is your word for your organization for 2020 and why? And whether you have one now or it's out of COVID, it's come, what do you think is your your, your word or your focus for your organization or what you would like to say even be remembered in 2024? Yeah, I think our focus is always on transparency. I love that. Um, but the, the biggest area we're working on, if I had to pick one word, is hospitals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so very quietly, we have become one of the leaders in hospital reviews. So we have some very big initiatives. Um, in that area that, that uh, we're rolling out, you know, that allow patients to see uh, different uh, outcome and ranking metrics for hospitals. So that, that's a big push that'll come out later this year. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah. And um, no, I, I think the other, the other piece we, we really try to be is we want to be 
a leader in having healthcare and the front door of healthcare be an open ecosystem. Yep. You know, part of that is uh, we'll work with anybody who wants to give us data. We collaborate with everybody and, and take data from everywhere. We, we, we don't, you know, make you use a specific scheduling system. We're working on some integrations, but, you know, we're not going to say, you know, to be send you appointments, you have to use, right, our booking software. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think those are, those are big parts of, you know, continuing the vision of, of having healthcare be more open and transparent. I'll stop there. <laughs> that's, that's great. I mean, I think that's been what patients have been asking for for years and years. And I think it's great. The consumer facing softwares or products like yourself are really kind of driving that, that healthcare transparency that we've been long um, looking for and wanting on the patient end is to be able to figure out who providers really are, what practices really all about and getting quicker access to care, those kind of things. So, and I think CareDash has been one of those, obviously the leaders over these, these years as y'all have grown and, and creating as much transparency as possible. And I think that's really big for patients. Yeah. One of my favorite things I see is we know that some of our competitors are watching very closely Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see that we'll, we'll do a press release on something and then we'll see them roll out the same, same feature a quarter later. Um, we actually love that. That's, that's, you know, you're on the right. You're on, you're onto something. I mean, if they weren't chasing you then there's, there may not be a market for it. I think that's always a really, that's a good positive. Just experience better, right? Not everything has to be, you know, purely a win for yourself. There's enough, you know, while this, I do think Healthcare, you know, the search that we compete in is a little bit of a zero-sum game. There's enough dying old companies, right? <laughs> you know, the websites are barely maintained, right? Like RateMDs that we can take traffic from together. Right? It's yep. less, and we can make the patient experience better um, in the long run. So, you know, we're, if, if HealthGrades wants to, to copy, right? If, if WebMD wants to copy, go for it, right? <laughs> let's, let's all make the patient experience better. I, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. We had a long conversation. We've grown, grown a really close relationship with another healthcare marketing agency. And that's what we did a podcast on is it just in the spaces that you're in, there's, there's, there's room for everyone. And the more that those type of innovations are being developed across the board, the better it is really for, like you said, the end user, the, in this case, the patient experience is if y'all are creating something innovative and it's rolled out on another platform, it can be beneficial for patients across the board. And obviously it's a reaffirmation that what you're doing is you're, you're, you're being a leader and an innovator in the space and that there's viability to what you're doing. If you've got other large organizations trying to replicate what you're doing as fast as possible. I mean, if you look at like LinkedIn, for instance, they've obviously been looking at what Facebook is doing and trying to adapt it as best as they can. And that's only made LinkedIn more valuable over time as they've rolled out LinkedIn Live and and, and some of the other features. Yeah, no, totally. And I, I think it's one of these things where patients are are, are, are savvy. You know, it's like with travel or restaurants, you don't, you know, you, you've got spidey sense, right? When it comes to sites, like, is this a real review, right? This yeah. restaurant just opened and it has 25 five-star reviews, right? <laughs> you know, I, you know, I have some concerns about the GMB product, right? <laughs> Whether people making decisions off that is a good idea or not. 
Yeah. Uh, it's always just like what happened with Yelp. Um, and they've been, especially in the healthcare space on the downhill slide. I think it's always dangerous when a search-based product like Yelp and now GMB, since they've made the shift into really controlling the localized search environment, when it becomes that important and that relevant, it's always going to get skewed with scamminess because it's just a way to make a quick buck. And so it's always a dangerous game when you have something that creates that much influence over a search environment or advertising environment or whatever environment it is. There's always bad apples out there. Yeah, one of the things we've, I observe is, so we, we built our hospital review set through patient surveys and we found the average review is something like a 4.2 out of five. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the GMBs for hospitals, I mean, they're, they're you know, ones and twos. And, oh, or, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of systems don't, don't bother managing them. But everybody's, you know, even just for directions, they're Googling, right? Um, and seeing that GM, low GMB rating. And I, I think it sets a bad mindset going into care, right? Like, the, if, you, if you work with hospitals and health systems, like I talk to them and, you know, you talk to them. And um, there's a lot of people who, are, who really care and are really passionate about their job. Um, there's not... You know, the health, American healthcare system is not perfect by any stretch, but, um, you know, I think that sort of 4.2 out of 5 or 8.5 out of 10 patients being happy with their care feels about yeah. right to me, right? Yeah. There, there's, but with, with GMB, there's so much complainer bias, right? Um, you know, with, with Yelp, Yelp is the same for, for hospitals and health systems. I couldn't um, imagine too that the economic, especially a larger healthcare system, like you just mentioned, like what the potential economic impact of that is, because you think of the lot, the swath of patients that they have and they reach that having, like you mentioned, if it is internal from a scoring perspective, 4.2 on average, but then you've got these GMBs that are doing ones and twos, the amount of patient care impact that that is having on an annual basis, both economically, as well as just pure patient care. I mean, it could be turning away tens of thousands of patients annually. Yeah, I, I think that could be the case. Although, in general, I think their local competitors are not doing that much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is very weighted across the board for sure when you do when you do a search. It seems like as it volumes, patient volumes increase, even like large orthopedics that we work with and stuff, that it seems to be a sliding scale of the worse the reviews get, the larger the organizations. And I just feel like you mentioned that it's not necessarily the correlation at all because we work with some incredible organizations that it just seems like that's a that's a stretch to me. Yeah. And I I, so I, the complainer bias is crazy, right? So it's really easy to leave a, a GMB review now that everybody has a Gmail account. Yeah. Um, and we see, I mean, we see our, our organic arrivals leave re, the review average is something like a 3.1 or 3.2. Um, and that's, that's true across practices. And, um, you know, it's like you, you saved my life or you, you ruined my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hospitals, hospitals get even worse because I mean, they—I'd say they, 
hospitals do do struggle right with with things like billing and communicating billing and yeah right? you see tons of complaints around that so you know that's that's always going to be an area where um somebody is mad about right <laughs> getting overcharged or under um you know or not getting some service that they they need and they're paying uh or you know they're just going to leave it they're going to leave a negative review and the first place to do it is gmb right and that's that's where we see it all too often is the the billing side of things, which there's only so much you can do getting ahead of the curve. And it's obviously much more of a beast on the hospital level when you're dealing with it. And the private practice sector deals with it a lot too. Is it's just and no matter what you can do with price transparency and getting ahead of it and communicating billing to your patients and all that, that's like numero uno negative reviews for sure is either a lack of understanding with what's covered with your insurance or getting a bill that you feel is unfair, no matter really what the practice can do on the front end to try to, to cut that off before, before the issue can arise because they don't have incentive either to do a point of care that you then get a bill that you refuse to pay. It's like, well, they're going to lose out on money as well. So it's, it creates a, <laughs> creates a tough environment for sure. And that's what practices are always like, well, I don't want to deal with reviews because it's just going to be a bunch of pissed off patients that, that uh, are mad about their bills. Right. Yeah. We, and we, um, one of the interesting things is we do, we do see we have a reply function to reviews, um, and I think it's something like fifteen or twenty percent, especially the billing oriented ones. They get the negative uh, reviews get revised upwards after a, a, re- a reply. They either get deleted or revised. So um, patients wanting to be heard—that's interesting. Yeah, it was incre- well, it was incredibly um, incoherent. Way I just said, but <laughs> but fifteen to twenty percent of negative reviews that get replied to uh, result in that negative re- review getting removed or or improved. Wow, that's really good to know. Another another reason to handle. Obviously, you have to be HIPAA aware when you're doing so. But again, that's another good thing to keep in mind. What y'all are seeing is if you handle it with kid gloves and you handle it so the patient feels heard. There's a a good. I mean, there's a pretty decent chance that you could have it elevated or removed. That's a really good thing to keep in mind. Yeah, I, I think there's a few reasons for that. One is being heard. Two is, well, I just re- I just dinged a doctor when it's totally their staff, right? Yep. <laughs> or three, it just gets it just gets resolved, right? It's one of the people reasons people write negative reviews. They want something resolved, and once it's resolved, they don't really want they don't necessarily want a record of their care. Uh, up there <laughs> you sometimes you have to ask right I, I imagine sometimes you have to actually ask but yeah it, it timeliness matters right so if you see the review right away you you know it's within a day of the appointment you can get it resolved quickly if it's two you know if the review is up the day of the appointment and you don't reply for two three four weeks then it's just been it's been festering and the person might not be paying attention anymore and it might be there forever yeah. Yep. I agree. Yeah. Timeliness matters a lot um, when it comes to re- review response, for sure. I couldn't agree more. So wrapping up, tell the listeners how they can get connected with AU personally, but also we've obviously talked a lot about provider reviews and the importance of it, CareDash, so how they can claim their profile, but also how they can get connected with you on uh, LinkedIn or, or anything so they can make sure that... And we'll also have that in the show notes too, following up. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, so I'm ted at care I'm answer email very quickly, typically. 
Uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, at Upward Mobility, and uh, I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. So any of those channels, easy to reach me and uh, love to connect. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again, Ted, for the time uh, and, and congratulations on the success that y'all have had and, and the continued success we wish y'all uh, as you roll out the some, what sounds like some really cool features, especially on the hospital level. So thanks again for taking the time and look forward to hopefully having a follow-up and learning a little bit more as y'all roll out the hospital stuff uh, in the coming months. So thank you again. No, great. Great to be on. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to today's latest episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify, or you can sign up to receive the latest episode via email. Just check it out on my agency website or my personal website. And if you are looking for more amazing healthcare marketing information or just to engage, check us out at entropy.com. And for any of my amazing physician liaisons out there interested in growing their physician referrals or learning the strategies that it takes to build highly engaged physician referral networks, check out my website, kellynot.com, where I have free webinars, free downloads, and of course, my online physician liaison training course, Physician Liaison University. And as always, I'm a huge believer in connecting, engaging, and supporting one another. And the best way we can do that is networking. And I always, always connect with you guys on social media. And one of my biggest social media platforms is LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me there on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter at Kelly Knott. And thank you guys again for listening to the Patient Convert Podcast with your host, Kelly Knott. 